Having rambled over many countries, he had become to a certain degree a citizen of the world, easily adapting himself to any change. He was a man of a thousand occupations, a botanist, a geologist, a hunter of beetles and butterflies, a musical amateur, a sketcher of no mean pretensions, in short, a complete virtuoso, added to which he was a very indefatigable, if not always very successful, sportsman. Never had a man more irons in the fire, and consequently never was a man more busy nor more cheerful. My third fellow-traveller was one who had accompanied the former from Europe and travelled with him as his Tumelicus, being apt, like his prototype, to give occasional perplexity and disquiet to his mentor. He was a young Swiss count, scarce twenty-one years of age, full of talent and spirit, but a gaillard in the extreme and prone to every kind of wild adventure. Having made this mention of my comrades, I must not pass over unnoticed a personage of inferior rank, but of all-pervading and prevalent importance, the squire, the groom, the cook, the tent-man, in a word, the factotum, and, I may add, the universal meddler and marplot of our party. This was a swarthy, meager French creole named Antoine, but familiarly dubbed Tonish, kind of Gil Blas of the frontier, who had passed a scrambling life, sometimes among white men, sometimes among Indians, sometimes in the employ of traders, missionaries, and Indian agents, sometimes mingling with the Osage hunters. We picked him up at St. Louis, near which he had a small farm, an Indian wife, and a brood of half-blood children. According to his own account, however, he had a wife in every tribe. In fact, if all this little vagabond said of himself were to be believed, he was without morals, without caste, without creed, without country, and even without language, for he spoke a jargon of mingled French, English, and Osage. He was withal a notorious braggart and a liar of the first water. It was amusing to hear him vapor and gasconade about his terrible exploits and hairbreadth escapes in war and hunting— in the midst of his volubility, he was prone to be seized by spasmodic gasping, as if the springs of his jaws were suddenly unhinged. But I am apt to think it was caused by some falsehood that stuck in his throat, for I generally remarked that immediately afterward there bolted forth a lie of the first magnitude. Our route had been a pleasant one, porting ourselves occasionally at the widely separated establishments of the Indian missionaries, but in general camping out in the fine groves that border the streams and sleeping under the cover of a tent. During the latter part of the tour we had pressed forward, in hopes of arriving in time at Fort Gibson to accompany the Osage hunters on their autumnal visit to the Buffalo Prairies. Indeed, the imagination of the young Count had become completely excited on the subject. The grand scenery and wild habits of the prairies had set his spirits madding, and the stories that little Tonys told him of Indian braves and Indian beauties, of hunting buffaloes and catching wild horses, had set him all agog for a dash into savage life. He was a bold and hard rider and longed to be scouring the hunting grounds. 
It was amusing to hear his youthful anticipations of all that he was to see and do and enjoy when mingling among the Indians and participating in their hearty adventures. And it was still more amusing to listen to the gasconadings of little Tonish, who volunteered to be his faithful squire in all his perilous undertakings to teach him how to catch the wild horse bring down the buffalo, and win the smiles of Indian princesses. Uh, and if we could only get sight of a prairie fire, cried the young count. By God, I'll set one on fire myself, cried the little Frenchman.